Hi, this is James Hinchcliffe. You need more front wing. John Lingle in on this as well because uh, by gum, we take a week off and look what happens. All this news breaks and all of a sudden we've got all kinds of stuff to talk about. So we figured that we'd better uh, get get a good portion of the team in here and make sure that we can cover as much of this as possible for you in a shorter period of time and get everybody all set for the Shell and Pennzoil Grand Prix of Houston coming up this weekend. Looking very much forward to having IndyCar back on the scene. Uh, but before we get to that, we got a lot of non-Houston news to cover that's come out in the last couple of days. So let's get to it. Um, who wants to start on the IMS road course? Let's sort of go through some of the, the hard facts first, and then we can talk about what we feel about what they're trying to do and uh, the direction that they've gone in some of these things. Of course, we all know that at um, 430 p.m. Eastern on October 1st, which would be yesterday by the time most of you will be listening to this. Um, the, the presentation was made with many dignitaries in attendance, including Roger Penske, who had nothing but glowing things to say about going back to Indianapolis or going to Indianapolis earlier in the month of May, which um, may be a surprise to some people, as well as Tony Kanaan, Graham Rahal, um, Greg Ballard, the mayor of Indianapolis, and um, of course, Mark Miles and Doug Bowles were there as well. And this is what they had to tell us. So the road course race weekend will run from Thursday, May 8th to Saturday, May 10th, which leaves Sunday, May 11th to be the traditional Sunday opening day. The race will be broadcast live on ABC, which will be uh, um, complementary to, of course, the Indianapolis 500 also being run on ABC three weeks later. Three weeks later? Two weeks later. Three Three weeks later. Three weeks later. The entire Mazda Road to Indy will race that weekend, and so that's all four levels of the uh, of the ladder series will be there um, running that weekend. The ticket pricing is um, pretty possibly in some ways a little higher than maybe some people expected, but still very reasonable. We're looking at $40 to $75 for a reserve ticket for Sunday. Um, that comes to $10 less if you've already got an Indianapolis 500 ticket. Um, it's for general admission on race day. You're looking at $25. And um, on Thursday and Friday, everything is general admission. Thursday is free. Friday is a $20 for general admission entry. So you can do your whole weekend there for $45 if, uh, if you are interested in doing so. And uh, people who have bought the bronze badge will have access to that race weekend included in their bronze badge, although the pricing of it will be somewhat adjusted. I think um, Kurt Cabin was saying on Twitter that he thought it was going to come in at about $125, the new price on that. Um, and uh, just a note about the circuit, they've they've modified. Um, turn one seems to be the biggest change they've uh, they've made a couple of uh, new passing zones as well. Hard for us to describe in radio. If you want to have a good look at it, we've got a large version of the map available in um, the press release that is posted on morefrontwing.com, so you can go and have a look at it there. But one notable thing is that they are running the road race in the same direction as the Formula One and the Grand Am track and uh, not running it in the direction of the oval. So that is uh, one way for it to make itself distinct. Uh, uh, who wants to go first on, on thoughts about today's presentation and, and what they had to say? Paul, let me put you on the spot. Uh, well, first of all, it, it is two weeks before the 500. I think you had said three weeks. It actually is opening weekend the 10th. I think the race is the 25th next year. Right. Um, you know, I was surprised as I was driving around town today doing some, some work out of the office. I had the presentation going on the IndyCar app. Uh, I was surprised to, to find how excited I was about this, actually. Um, you know, long ago, I was very against having the road course race there, um, you know, at any time during the year, much less during the month of May. Uh, but as this has become more of a reality, uh, I've gotten much more interested in it, and I think it really is going to be a good way to kick off the month. I'm glad that they were able to get ABC to commit to doing this because I think that was one of the huge problems they've had with the ratings for the 500 over the last couple of years is that ABC has really kicked off their, not only their month of May coverage, but their IndyCar season coverage race morning. 
And I think that's killed a lot of their momentum. So having this opportunity for ABC to kick off their coverage earlier in the month, I, I think that'll be a positive. I think some of the positive changes to the road course, you mentioned the stuff that's going on in, in turn one of the oval. Uh, they're redoing some of that area again. Uh, some of the more changes I thought looked more interesting, though, are actually uh, when they get just inside the road course before they head down Holman Boulevard. It looks from the maps like they're making quite a bit of changes to that area uh, and, and a little bit higher speed area there. And then again, they're changing to, I guess, what will be the third configuration for what used to be the old S-curves just north of the, the Hall of Fame on the infield. So I think a lot of these changes shouldn't, should make it a much more interesting track, and I think it'll be an interesting race. Is it going to be? Uh, it's not Road America. Uh, it's not Barber. Um, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to be, you know, a, a dull race either. I, I think any time you race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it's a special event. Whether it's the 500, the 400, the MotoGP, whatever race they put there, it's the the facility that makes it a special race. And I don't think this will be any different. Um, so I think give it a try for a year, see how it goes. Like they said today, they're not going to sell 200,000 tickets. If they get 50 or 60,000, I think that's going to be a good event for them. Hopefully the the changes they've made with some of the viewing mounds, with the ticket structure, I think that will make it a good family event and just a good way to kick off the month of May in general. They did a good sell job on it, no question. Um, the question that I was left with, and I haven't seen this addressed anywhere yet, but it's possible that I missed it, was um, the, com- the major complaint that I've heard about the infield portion of the road course is, um, I mean, the, the corners themselves needed some retooling, but what I, what I keep hearing is that it's just very narrow, and I haven't heard anybody say whether any of it's going to be widened in any of the, uh, the critical passing areas. So that would be something that I'd like to hear a little bit more about. I thought I heard Graham Rahal actually mention that it was fairly wide for a road course. Did anyway. he? Okay. I, I thought that I remembered that being one of the complaints, particularly of the uh, the F1 version of the course, but but perhaps I am misremembering that. John, did you have anything to toss in there? Well, there seemed to be a good amount of room at the uh, – I went to the inaugural Grand Am race there, and uh, those cars were able to uh, race side-by-side side through some different parts. Looking at the track map, I think the changes make it look like a racier layout. Um, it'd be nice to see them add a little elevation into, but I, I don't think that's in the in play. Uh, I, ha- in I have no doubt Indiana. that it'll be. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt it'll be a good race. Uh, you know, the Indy cars have shown uh, these guys put on really good racing on the road courses uh, majority of the time. Well, Kevin uh, was the one who said in his Q&A, anywhere that IndyCars go these days, they seem to be putting on a good show. So, Yeah, you know, I just I hope the camera pan stays in tight, though, because, you know, you've seen how empty it looks for the uh, Brickyard there, uh, the NASCAR race, and, and there's 100,000 people there, and it mm-hmm. looks like the place is, is a graveyard. So if they're talking about going to hope they sell 50 or 60,000, you know, I, I just I hope we don't see a lot of shots of empty grandstands because you don't want people to turn tune into their first in, Indy car race and uh, and and see a bunch of empty seats and you know unfortunately that can kind of set the precedent for their their opinion of what they're seeing. Well, exactly. Uh, we had I had this argument on Twitter the other day when when this started being announced about uh, that that exact perception and and had a discussion with somebody saying, well, look how empty the grandstands are for for the Rolex 24 at Daytona in January, and I said, yeah, but they sell out the infield every year. I mean, the the grandstands are not where people want to sit for this type of event. They want to sit in the corners, you know, like where the, where the driving's actually happening. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I will say uh, from from the Grand Am, I, the tickets that I had for the Grand Am race there, uh, I was able to. Uh, uh, it was basically a general. Everything was basically general admission for that inaugural race. You could go anywhere. Uh, the grandstand is not a good place to watch. You just get to see them run down that front straight. You don't see anything else. You know, it's it's not the best area of the track by far. So people might hop in there for the very first part of the race uh, to, to see the start, especially since it's supposed to be a standing start. But uh, after that, you're not going to see a whole lot of passing there. Did they uh, confirm it, a standing start today? Uh, not that I saw. 
but I would be surprised oh, I if they, they had. don't. Perhaps they had, and I missed it. I thought I, I I read through everything and I looked for that, but I didn't see anything official. Anyhow. I think it'd be a nice change-up, but uh, we'll, oh we'll yeah, see. for sure. I'm sure the drivers yeah. will grapple with it. it. It would make a nice contrast to the rolling start of the 500 for sure. So. Anyhow, uh, tickets for this one go on sale October 14th. All the details can be found on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway website, which I think is IndianapolisMotorSpeedway.com. And um, I'm sure we will start to hear more details, finer finer tuning details of this as time goes on, but they've certainly done a good job of um, laying everything out, or the most important parts out at the start, along with getting a little bit of, uh, of hype underway for this. So we shall see how it goes. Let's move on to our next big story from over the weekend, and that was the news that um, Jenna Fryer broke about um, Tony Kanaan maybe or maybe not uh, being very close to signing a contract with Chip Ganassi. Now, Tony is uh, seems to be being very quiet, and he doesn't want to say anything official to anybody. So, how likely do we think this actually is that this is that this is coming off? And there are a lot of um, there's a lot of domino talk going on around this too, in terms of um, sort of speculation that James Hinchcliffe might be ending up in the seat at KV as a result of the money that's being raised for Tony being available to him. And the, 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 it was also reported that James doesn't have a, an offer right now from Andretti, but he has an offer from a team, a good team, he says. So um, it's it's definitely coming down to, to crunch time in the silly season. So let's start with the Canon stuff, and then we can sort of go into the Hinch stuff. John? You know... To me, they're so intertwined there. Un- until the uh, the ink is dry and I see a press conference with Tony, uh, I, th- I think it's likely that the, the Ganassi deal is what's going to take place. But with Hinchcliffe out there, I, I know Tony won the-, the title this year, and I know he's a past champion. Um, but honestly, I would have to think that James Hinchcliffe would be the more attractive driver at, at this point in their respective careers. Um so well, people gonna... keep talking about how Hinch is a natural successor to Dario for whenever he decides he's done, right? And Tony being, you know, no offense, Tony, if you happen to be listening to this, I doubt you are. Um, Tony Tony's is a friend is, of ours. He might be he listening. Is. Yeah, he, he is, but I think he's got better things to do right now, like maybe signing contracts. But um, Tony, you know, he did win the Indianapolis 500 this year, but he's only got so many years left, right? He's a little long in the tooth, as they say. So in terms of building the Ganassi team's future, Hinch is an obvious choice. But we don't know where where Chip Ganassi's head is at right now. Who does? Right? Only Chip. So. Yeah, you never Sorry. know. You never know with him. Uh, uh, I just, I, I, it's hard to believe that Andretti would let Hinchcliffe out. After the after the season that he's had, but well, it's no. Uh, they may not have a choice in the matter if there's not enough money to keep James interested. Not if he's got an offer on the table where he actually goes into next season with a salary, which I don't, from what I gather, is not something that Michael can promise him right now. So the 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 choice is obvious in that case. Paul, did you have anything to add? It just feels like we've been through this before with Tony going to to. Uh to Ganassi again, and then all of a sudden, well, at least this time, I think last time in 2008 when it happened, I think the story broke one day, and then the next day, the very next day was was when he signed with Andretti again, so at least we've gotten past that stage, I suppose. Um, I think Tony at Ganassi is, uh, you know, it's a combination that I think a lot of people should be nervous about in the paddock, because Tony certainly can still wheel a car, and Ganassi still knows how to prepare a car. I think you put those two together, it's going to be a very formidable team. Um, you know, Provided the chemistry is there. The chemistry is more important than maybe anybody would initially think. Well, certainly Tony and Dario have a long history together. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know specifically how close Tony and Scott are. Um, you know, they've, they've driven together for the last, um, what, since 2001, I guess, when, when Scott came to cart with PacWest. I guess I wasn't thinking so much about teammate chemistry as, as engineering chemistry. Who Who is it that Tony's got with him at KB right now? I wonder if that person would be available to go with him. That Eric Cowden is his engineer right. that was with him for a long, long time at Andretti. Then Eric went to Penske to, to engineer for 
uh, Ryan Briscoe, I believe, before he came back to KB with Tony last year or this year. I forget which one it was. Um, but I think that was part of what Tony had said all along, is that he wanted to keep as much of his team together as he could, no matter where he mm. was. So it will be interesting to see how many of those people from KV move to wherever it is that Tony ends up uh, when, when he does finally officially land somewhere. Right. So moving on, um, the the bad news, of course, that came out at 4 p.m. on a Friday, and I'm going to start holding my breath every every week at about 3.45 p.m. Eastern on, on a Friday, um, other than race weekends. I think it comes on Thursdays then. But anyway, um, was the, um, the, the dissolving of the partnership between IZOD and the IndyCar series at the end of 2013. Now, this came as a surprise to absolutely no one. Um, Maybe a surprise in the timing of the announcement, but the timing of the announcement and the, um, you'll have to forgive me, I'm not sure if this is a word, amicability, uh, with which everything has happened, leads me to believe that there must be a good news announcement coming in the not-too-distant future about a replacement for IZOD as a title sponsor, and we all know who we think that is. Um, Verizon has shown a lot of promise as a potential partner and has shown some interest in, in being a potential partner. And so uh, I don't think that one would surprise very many people either should it happen to come out. Any, any different thoughts on that, either of you? I think Verizon is the natural successor. They've been a great partner thus far. Um, my only concern with Verizon is what, and of all people to be concerned about, you know, sponsorships is probably not Penske, but what does that do to Will Power's ride if Verizon jumps up to the series sponsorship role? Um, you know, Penske is going to three cars next year with Juan Pablo Montoya, of course. That car, as of yet, or at least publicly as of yet, is not funded. Roger's running that one out of his pocket. If Verizon elevates to the series title sponsor, what does that do for the sponsorship directly on Will Power's car? Um, that I mean, that, that's the only question I would have because I, I don't think there's anybody who who doesn't see Verizon as a very good fit. Um, other than maybe from the standpoint of pitting a cell phone company right up against Sprint on the on the NASCAR side. Do you, I mean, well, there's there, there's, it's some, probably... there's some irony in that situation there, especially since Verizon was a fairly strong supporter of of NASCAR, you know, what, five, six, seven years ago before Sprint basically came in and kicked them out of the league and they took their money over to IndyCar. Well, that's undoubtedly the motivation behind it is the opportunity to be sort of a, a counterpoint to that and, and have a slightly different um, cultural presentation to go along with that. Um, and I'm sure that that's where that motivation is coming from. Um, as for the sponsorship on Will's car, I'm sure that would be written into the contract somewhere. I don't think that that, that would be allowed to just vaporize without there being some kind of backup plan for, for that car. Um, Roger Pesky simply wouldn't let it happen. But we don't know how long the, the sponsorship deal is on that car either, so I could be wrong. But it, it would surprise me if there wasn't some kind of contingency worked into that. Is that something you want, though, is to have a the title sponsor of your series as a major primary sponsor on one of the cars as well. Is there a conflict of interest there of any sort? We we were talking about that when IZOD was sponsoring Ryan Hunter Ray after they came in, in in the beginning, and they have run numerous drivers, uh, Ryan Briscoe, uh, AJ Allmendinger, and mm -hmm. I don't think any, anybody's really felt at any point that, it was that it was questionable. I remember, I remember thinking in the beginning. I don't know if this is such a good idea, but but once it happened a few times, it just sort of became, okay, well, this is happening. So, um, and, and I never really gave it a second thought. So, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't really, especially not if that car is winning races. I would think I'll the tell you what, with would the, be pretty uh, happy with the economic situation that they're in. They just need to be sure that they keep any sponsor. That, that wants to be involved with teams or with the series there. Uh, you know, look at NASCAR when and they had plenty of money to turn away sponsorships and started uh, having these non-competing sponsor clauses. That's what ran Verizon, uh, their, their Penske money from NASCAR over to IndyCar. Uh, you know, 
I, I agree. It could it could open up a possibility for the for the black helicopter folks to, uh, you know, anytime Will doesn't get a penalty for something that they they think he should have, uh, to to maybe cry foul. But uh, man, if they, if they want to sponsor the series and a car, more power to them. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> just in a final or willpower to them. Oh, jeez. You're fired. (laughs) Terrible. Um, Just in a final nod to Izod, got to say that can't can't blame them for wanting to to take a step away because the Izod period in, in IndyCar racing, if you really sit back and think about it and sort of check off the boxes you realize that it's some of the more tumultuous years of open wheel racing and um that's saying something when you're talking about open wheel racing think about some of the stuff that's happened under eyes on randy bernard was hired and fired hmm. um brian barnhart restarted an oval race in the rain um and on a less light note dan weldon passed you know, hasn't been the, the nicest of, of environments for IZOD since they came on, so um, can't uh, say I, I, think, I think you're looking at a kind of revisionist history there. I think every, I think you can look back over any five-year period of, of open-wheel racing, certainly since the original split of 78, and, and you know. Well, I think we all agree that 2012 was great, and and but by then I think it was too late. I think the writing was on the wall. Mm-hmm. So, and and from the period when was it 2010 that Izod came on to 2000 and 2011 those two years were not fantastic yeah. uh, what i wonder the, the elephant in the room to me is has Izod been paying for this uh, name sponsorship the last couple of years you know they they came in with a bang had uh you know the trophy girls and the advertisement and the, and the tv commercials and all of this stuff and uh after year 2 it completely stopped, and their name was still on the marquee. But you start you started to see a shift in some of the merchandise away from from uh, showcasing their name on a lot of the stuff. So I have to wonder if this uh, might have been an empty partnership, uh, kind of like what we talked about with the Indy Lights uh, uh, engine manufacturer and tire quote unquote partner. Uh, you know, I, I kind of wonder if Izod's how much, if anything, they've actually been paying these last couple of years. Well. I overheard once in a press room, and um, you know, it's it rings somewhat true. So I'll repeat it: that uh, Izod checked out on lap twelve of Las Vegas. So that could very well be true. I think it. I think it would be very reasonable to expect that to be true. So let's just hope that uh, whoever comes in next uh, heralds a, a more um, a more peaceful time in in indycar racing and uh, a time when maybe some some energy can be focused on growth that would be that would be a positive let's take a look at our next um item our next topic here on our outline and that is the uh, the release of the united sports car champion excuse me the tudor united sports car championship schedule the uh, the combined sports car schedule for 2014 and we have now learned that there are two events on that schedule that will be combined with indycar that's um the long beach the toyota grand prix of long beach and uh the hang on this one's a mouthful the chevrolet detroit Belle Isle Grand Prix, I think uh, it was this year. Um, and, of course, those are both very important events for both series for different reasons. So not a great deal of surprise, but heartening to see that sports car is still willing to partner with IndyCar in doubleheader events because that was that was a big question mark coming into setting up um, setting up the schedule. John, I know you're a big follower of sports cars. Did you have any observations on that? Well, I think it's, it's, it's nothing but a plus. Uh for both both series benefit from it, and I'm I'm glad to see that they apparently at least on some level still see it that way. Uh, you know, you get the cross pollinization. Sports car people come in and get uh, maybe get to see an Indy car that they wouldn't have looked at before, or a lights car, or a Pro Mazda car, and, and the same thing with the open wheel folks that come in and get to see sports cars. So, you know, there's there's really no downside to it. There's there's so much downtime on these weekends if it's just a single series running. Uh, you know that everybody gets plenty of track time. It, it makes it a better b- value for the fans. There's always something going on track, and uh, it's just a win-win. I hope I hope they keep it going. 
uh, you know, I, I hated to see Baltimore drop off the schedule for the same reason. It's just good to good to have all that stuff at one place. Well, and it certainly seems to open the door a little bit to the uh, the heralded and much desired return to North to Road America because um, that would be easier to do for both series. Well, I think um, sports cars are there anyway, aren't they? Was that on the schedule, John? Yes, yes. They, yeah, they, uh, so that was their first uh, combined. Well, not truly combined, but ALMS and Grand Am both ran uh, same weekend at Road America this year. Right, but it's on next year, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they they will be returning. That's that's on their schedule for next year. Right. So I'm not sure um, of the date right off the top of my head, but uh, they will be back. No, I feel like it was in May sometime, which would obviously be a little bit difficult. I thought it was um, August. I wanted to say like the second week of August. The 12th for it, some reason stands out. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Um, but anyhow, obviously, I I've studied it deeply. You can tell. Um, so either way. I don't. Maybe the maybe the need is not there on the sports car side to do that, but you'd like to think there might be potential there to make a re-entry to their um, for IndyCar a little bit easier. But who knows? Time will tell. Uh, we know that Mark Miles has been talking a lot about um, the the various tracks that he wants to see on the schedule in 2015, and Road America is consistently on that list. So um, let's hope that that talk continues. Now. Before we get into preview of the uh, Shell and Pennzoil Grand Prix of Houston weekend, I uh, had an opportunity a couple of days ago to sit down with Andretti Autosport driver in the um, Firestone Indy Light Series, Carlos Munoz, uh, and um, catch up with him as he prepares to fight for the um, the championship in that series. He's currently second in the points by two points in uh, what's shaping up to be a four, some would say five-way battle for that championship. Um, Carlos and I had a chance to review his season so far, talk about what it was like for him to run his first Indianapolis 500 and uh, have such a stellar result uh, in that race this year. Why it is that oval tracks and super speedways in particular seem to suit his driving style, having come up through the ranks in Europe, and uh, how he looks forward to racing with his countryman Juan Pablo Montoya, um, potentially in next year's series. So uh, let's give a listen to Carlos Munoz right now. Steph Wallcraft of MoreFrontWing.com here speaking with Andretti Autosport driver Carlos Munoz. He's 21 years old, as many of you know, and is a Colombian driver who drives a number 26 machine in Indy Lights and occasionally IndyCar uh, for Andretti Autosport. And uh, Carlos is uh, two points behind Sage Karam and second in a four-way battle for the Indy Lights Championship going into the final two races at Houston and Fontana. Um, Carlos, thanks very much to, for uh, to begin with for taking some time to speak with us today. Uh, maybe we could start with getting you to summarize your Indy Lights season in your own words and, uh, and sort of share with our listeners what's happened with you uh, up to this point in the year. Yeah, we started really strong in the championship. Uh, we started really strong with, with triple position in the three, four races, two wins. Uh, after Indianapolis, it was a really nice race uh, with that finish where I was leading the most of the race. And then we have a little bit of, of a down. Um, in the mid-season, I think the last last few races we were not that competitive. In Toronto, we struggled a little bit with the car, but I finished fourth. Then in Ohio, uh, I did a mistake and I have to go back from last to fourth again. And the last race, unfortunately, I have um, I had uh, an issue, you know, uh, and I crashed into the wall in the braking zone. So that, so from that moment, from the last race. Um, I lose my, my championship leadership, but anyways, it's two, two races to go. I'm really, really strong. I'm feeling, you know, to, to go to Houston. Um, I know I'm, I'm really quick on, on road courses and street courses. So it's going to be nice. It's, it's, it's been a really nice championship with all these fights with the Smith guys. So we'll see what, what happens. I think the one who wins in Houston will have much of the championship on, on his pocket. Right. So uh, as we mentioned coming into the interview, you, the, the championship battle this year in uh, Indy Lights is extremely tight. Um, what do you think that you need to do for the rest of this year to uh, come out with being the victor in this title? It's only two races left. I think it's this time because I think the, the strongest drivers so far this year has been me and Jay Coswork. Coswork. We're being like the strongest one and we're, we're like doing some mistakes like mechanically. Or doing, or doing some mistakes personally, you know, so we're, we're like less, 
no son no se consisten um, so that's why we should hide the championship no uh, I think Sage and Gabi they, they were fast but not so fast than the that but they were really consistent in the podium and finishing third second um, so that's why it's really tight right now in the championship uh, uh, now it's two races to go I think uh, we're gonna have the same guys in front but we usually have I think it's the guy who's gonna win now is is gonna be the fastest guy because now it's not not important to finish second or third. Is now is the who win is gonna get the most of the point and who's gonna make the gap for to to think about Fontana. No, it's Fontana. It's an about everything can, ha can happen there, so it's gonna be difficult. But as I told you, everyone wants wants to win and wants to win for the championship in Houston. So it's gonna be tough and. We will see what, what happens. Right. Uh, you, of course, won the uh, 2012 event at Fontana in the Indy Lights race. Um, does that give you, what, what kind of confidence does that give you going into that race again this year, um, being in the thick of the championship? No, uh, my mind is to, is to go in the championship first in Fontana. Uh, I, I can't go in Fontana being second in the championship because, as I told you, Fontana is an oval. Everything can happen down there. So my, my main goal is to arrive in Fontana with the lead again. Um, I will push Sark in Houston for that. But yeah, it gives me confidence, not Fontana, because last year I won it uh, with a lot of, of... I was really quick. I have a, a great car. Uh, this year I've been like having a great car in, in the speedways, like in Pocono and in Indianapolis. Hopefully we will have a great car also in, in Fontana. So, so it's going to be... It gives me a more confidence, no? Um, but... For sure, if I go to Fontana in the first in, in the first place before that, like because I won in Houston, I did a great job in Houston. It's gonna be more like I'm gonna be more relaxed, like not relaxed, but less less pressure on me because I know Fontana is is a great is great for us, the speedway is great for us. Um, so I just when I have to 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 have a good result, um, that that's the thing is gonna like be the championship. So what I'm telling you, who winning in Houston? Doesn't need to win in Fontana, so so it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I think Houston is the next race, and we have to think about really really big on that one. Right. You, of course, um, had the opportunity to race with Andretti Autosport in this year's Indianapolis 500, and uh, you had a really stellar result um, given that it was your first race there. You had finished second place and uh, came away with Rookie of the Year honors. Can you share with us some of your memories and some of the experiences that stood out to you with your first experience in IndyCars of the month of May? Yeah, it was, was an incredible month. I think it was my, my best month of my career uh, since the first a lot I did in, in the speedway was incredible for me. I, I couldn't imagine that after a long, long, a lot of years of, of work and sacrifices, and I was there, no? Um, the whole month I was really quick. I, I was really quick in practice and qualifying. I qualified takeoff for the race, so, so it was great, you know? My mentality before the month was to do a good job, but to don't do any mistakes, and, I just tried to be in the top, but no, not as good as I did, no? Uh, I qualified second, so yeah, and say after, after qualifying, my mentality was, I have to finish the race, don't make any mistake about that, about the race, because we are learning, uh, we are learning, so we are in a learning process, so all, all the miles, uh, I can, I, all the miles I have for in the Nippon is gonna be better for the future, for the future, so that was my mentality in the race. So that's why I also did a great job, no? Uh, I was really, I was thinking a lot, uh, aggressive when we needed, but at the same time really intelligent. And, you know, this, the second place was, was a great, great result. Um, it was awesome for me. It was, I think it was like the peak of my career. Well, and also what I'm gonna, if I'm in the future in the because of that race, no? Uh, hopefully it's not my, it's not my my first and my only one in the 500. Um, I'm just 21 years old. TK, uh, you know, he took more than 10 years to win the <laughs> Indy 500. So, so anyway, so I think um, it will be. It's not. It's nothing gonna be um, pressure on me that yeah, next year I have to win it because last last year I did second so good. This this year I have to win it. No, I think 
we have a lot of year to, to win to win the Indy 500, and what's really special, no? And especially when Michael also gave me the opportunity to, to drive for him in the Indy 500. As I was a rookie, like no experience at all of the car, so it was it was great. It was um, really nice. It, um, it was for me the best race in the world. Great. Um, so you had that opportunity this, this year, and you also had the opportunity to replace Ryan Briscoe in Toronto after he was uh, after he injured his wrist in race one. Um, so talking, looking at those two experiences, and they're two very different experiences in an IndyCar, were you able to take any of what you learned from running those two races and uh, take it back to Indy Lights and use it to um, to improve your, your race craft there? Yeah, Toronto was a, a little bit crazy, you know, because... Suddenly, the Saturday night, they called me if I wanted to drive the Sunday race with the National, with the Panther racing with the National Guard car. So it was my first time on the car in the in a in a road course because it's totally different. There's nothing about any in the Indy car in in Indianapolis. Is you don't touch the brakes, you you nearly turn the wheel. So everything is completely different. It's like a new car. Um, for me, it was the biggest car I ever drove in a circuit. Carbon brakes, everything was totally different. But I did, I did do, I did awesome job. I think my times were really good. I was really fast. Um, Panther also helped me that they, they didn't expect any result from from me, uh, so I did that to finish the race. And I did great times, and it was a great race. Yeah, it, for sure, it helps all the drivers for in the life. But I think that, like it helped me more for looking for for the future now because I have a little bit more more miles on me on the IndyCar I have an idea what an IndyCar is in, in a road course where the brake goes so it's going to help me for sure in, in for the, hopefully for the next year right um, looking at your background, you really came up through a traditional European background doing, uh, doing karting and then uh, formula cars in sort of road and street course formulations. But then when you came to America, all of a sudden you had these fantastic results on ovals. You had that win at Fontana last year in Indy Lights. You had um, your excellent performance in Indianapolis. You won at Pocono this year. Is there anything about super speedways and, and ovals that you feel really seems to suit your driving style, although you don't have, in the grand scheme of things, a great deal of experience with them? Yes, in the first time I went to, to an ovals to a speedway, it was the test in Montana, I was the fastest there. So yeah, I think uh, I love the speedways, especially uh, in the racing when it's a pack race. I love like those, the Spanish race you'll ever have. You'll have a blast racing there, like all-time all overtaking and everything. So for the first Time, I had a great feeling, you know. I, I understand the car, what, what it does, and what it needs to be done, you know, um, to go faster. And I have a great feeling to say to my engineer also that it helped me a lot when you have a great car. Uh, helped me a lot when you say, yeah, I have a little bit of this problem. And he, and he can, like, fix the problem and quicker and quicker. So that helped me a lot. Uh, yeah, but I'm feeling really good in the overall comfortable. I think I have a great feeling um this is all about america no? you have to be really strong in e in everything you have to be strong in street circuits in road courses you have to be strong in in a speedway you have to be strong in in, in the small oval so that's that's what uh, the team wants you know and i mean strong in all this on all these four type of of ovals on, on circuits and really strong in all of it so it's great that I had a great feeling for, for, for the Ovals because that's what makes it interesting to the team as a driver. At this stage, we know that Michael Andretti is, is trying to move him up with your team into IndyCars for next year. Are you able to tell us right now where the stage, what stage those talks are at? Yeah, it's, 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 it's been really good. Uh, we're working a lot. Um, he's helping Michael and Andretti. They are helping me a lot to find the the budget, no, uh, for, for the next year, is, for sure it's really difficult to find it, but we are, we are trying hard also from my side, from Colombia and all my team, I have, um, all my team I have, like, like, kind of budget, we are working really hard for the half, you know, it's, it's going to be really nice for sure um, to be next year in Andretti, uh, it's going to be my third year there, uh, especially the nicest is going to be if, if, if I'm in that car, no, because it's a, it's a winning car. You don't have no excuses that the car is bad or not. For sure, you have to go there and win it. Um, but you know, I hope in November uh, we will have um, like 
we will decide the future. Now we will happen. Uh, maybe also West Indian was if we don't find the whole budget. Um, maybe we are looking for other for all for other teams, but I think we're gonna be clear in, in November what we're gonna do, and we're trying our best from our side, of, also for for Michael, no. And it's always nice to hear and to read that he wants me in the team, and he's and he's and he's working on that. So that gives me a little bit more more confidence and to push a little bit harder in these last two races to win the championship on the on the like. Well, and that brings me to my next question, which is how important is winning the title to making that deal work out? That um, sponsorship money that you would get from Mazda for winning the title would make a big difference, I'm sure. For sure, this um, is going to help a lot, all the drivers, you know. But uh, what I read, the the price money was little, um, much less than than the few years, you know. So that's something going to give you even even the the 10% of what you need, you know. So... Of course, this less than 10 percent will help you for, to move up, no. But it's you know it's not the end of the war if you, if you don't win if you don't win it. Um, but it's gonna be nice, you know. Like you have no excuses to move up if you win the championship. Uh, you will have, no, none of the teams are gonna put you the excuse that you didn't win the any life title. So that's what my aim for. And all my year, I'm, I was preparing. To the Indy Lights and crossing the Indy Lights and in the Indy 500. When I, when I came second, I said, "My my main goal this year is still to win the Indy Lights championship. I'm gonna concentrate on that. So that's what I'm doing, and I want to to, to do it. You know. So for me, for my part, is uh, it's gonna be awesome to win the championship, and and as I told you, no excuses to move up. But as I did so good in Indianapolis, maybe that that give me a little bit more. More of margin if I don't win it, no. But I, I want to win this championship, and, and as I told you, it's not, it's not the end of the world if, if I don't win it because this year really is, is a lot of less, like the Mazda prize money they give you to move up. So, so yeah. But everything helps in this world, and for sure, it's gonna help me a lot if, if this prize money. One final question for you, um, and this one is is uh, comes back to your roots in Colombia. Of course, we've learned recently that Juan Pablo Montoya is going to be racing for Team Penske in IndyCar next year, and uh, I just want to get a sense from you of uh, how that feels to you. He was always an example. He's the world example for me and for a lot of drivers when we were a small Colombian driver, you know. That's why when he was in Formula 1 or IndyCar, he was the big boom in Colombia about motor racing. So he was he was a great driver for me. He's been so far the, the greatest driver Colombia ever had. Um, and, as, and as I said, um, he, he is great for IndyCar. Like he's back, he's a big name. Uh, IndyCar needs this, you know, needs this kind of driver to come back here and give it that, that publicity that to, 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 to go again of the golden age of the, of the IndyCar. Uh, as a Colombian perspective, also it's, it's completely good it's like really really good for, for Colombia you know give you publicity he's really popular in Colombia because he's been the only Colombian driver to win a Formula One race of the Uni 500 so it's bad for us and for sure the 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 race on the TVs in the IndyCar and and televisions and news and everything is gonna be like much more bigger like he's in in in, in IndyCar and IndyCar will blow up a lot with, with that, especially in Colombia, and hopefully uh, I will be next year uh, in Indica, so it's going to help me a lot to have this publicity at the same time uh, as, as I'm racing there, no? So it's, it's great, for sure, he's a great driver, he, he has a, a talent that no, a little, not a lot of drivers have it. He will be fast in the first moment he, he's going to go in that car, so it's going to be nice to see him, um, and yeah, and I grew up like as an example, he he was an example of me, and always said he I, I like his driving, he I, his drive and everything, and and never in, even in my dreams I couldn't imagine I was I was, I'm gonna it's not sure but I'm gonna race for, for him with him next year, you know. Uh, when I see the pictures when I went to to, to see him in the last race when he in, in his syndicate career was in Fontana. I was there, uh, I went to see him and, you know, I was seeing the picture last week and I said, I said, whoa, I, I, ha- I have the opportunity maybe next year to, to race, to, to, to race against him. So, 
So yeah, it's nice, and it seems like all the all the work you have done since we were seven years old, all the sacrifices, all the good moments and bad moments, finally they're like they're paying off, no? Absolutely. Very well said, Carlo. Thank you so much for your time and uh, best of luck to you through the end of the season and I hope that next year we'll see you in IndyCar. Yeah, hopefully. Thank you very much for your time, okay? Thank you very much. Excellent to hear from Carlos and uh, certainly will be an interesting run to the conclusion of the Firestone Indy Lights Championship this year. Um, so I thought it was really interesting to hear Carlos talk about the fact that the uh, the Mazda prize money this year will only will not even complete 10% of an IndyCar budget. Uh, one has to hope and think that that's going to go up in the future. I can sort of understand why that would be the case um, this year with the series having the, the difficulty raising car counts that it's had. But um, certainly that's not likely to uh, to be even close to enough to, to think about putting a ride together. So lots, lots more to be found there. Um, John, you've spoken to Dan Anderson recently. Do you get in the impression that that uh, that's one of the things that's being looked at for the future? Well, I think Dan has got uh, a very level head, and he's looking at, at all the different avenues. And um, I don't think that that, that is probably the, the first thing he's looking at. But he knows that by addressing car count and and by getting some quality partners into the series, that he can he can make a few things more attractive. And if that draws more people, more teams, and more eyeballs to the sport, that you know, an effect of that would be that the the Mazda money hopefully would would ramp back up a little bit. Right. So now I think we're ready to take a look at the Shell and Pencil Grand Prix of Houston. John, you are a native of Houston, and so uh, you had an opportunity to put together a little bit of a preview for us for morefrontwing.com, and that is now posted. Um, it went up on Monday morning, um, and so maybe you can sort of bring us up to speed on he- the history of open-wheel racing in Houston, and uh, we can launch from there into a, ta- a chat about what we expect to see this weekend. Well, absolutely. Uh, Houston has had a very stop-and-start uh, relationship. Uh, back in the late 90s, CART uh, came and actually had a, a true street race downtown uh, out by the George R. Brown Convention Center and on the downtown streets there. Uh, ran for four years uh, before, according to who you listen to, either sponsorship, construction issues, or both, uh, forced it to leave. Uh, they revisited, uh, came back to Reliant Park uh, under the Champ Car World Series banner. Only ran two years there. First year is a night race uh, alongside uh, ALMS. Uh, second year uh, was a afternoon race. Uh, as was common during those days, Sebastian Bourdais won both races uh, with the uh, with his team there in Champ Car. Uh, they were on the schedule. For the uh, 2008 season, uh, but then the open wheel merger uh, made Houston a schedule casualty, and it's it's been I don't know how many years now that it's probably ever since 2009. Uh, every year there's been rumors that hey we might come back to Houston, we might come back to Houston. The caveat always being that they got to find a title sponsor, and. They seem to have that in spades now. I mean, we went from the last year of the uh, Champ Car World Series running unsponsored uh, Grand, as the Grand Prix of Houston to this year we have the Shell and Penzoil Grand Prix of Houston presented by the Houston Honda dealers contested at the uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center Speedway. So uh, we've, got, <laughs> we've got a title sponsor, a presenting sponsor, and a track sponsor. So uh, – it, it looks to be healthy. It's getting some good promotion down here. Uh, they've had uh, TV ads, billboard ads. Uh, the event promoters have, have run a bunch of uh, they're calling them pit parties uh, throughout town. Uh, they've lined up some charities for some different different events. Uh, they've re uh, they brought back the uh, the, the Miss Grand Prix uh, contest, which was something that Champ Car did. I think they did it at uh, if I remember correctly, they did it for all of their events, kind of a uh, pageant, uh, beauty pageant type deal. Uh, so they brought that back. Uh, they've got a couple ladies that they've selected for that. And, uh, you know, they, they seem to be going the right way about promoting it. And uh, so it, it looks like if scheduling 
holds up that, that this could end up being a, a recurring event. Uh, obviously, everyone here kind of groaned whenever we heard that uh, the rumors that it'll come back in August next year, which <laughs> anybody that lives in Houston will tell you, no one wants to go anywhere in Houston in August. So I can only hope that that's not correct. IndyCar, if you're listening, please do not schedule this event in August next year. Right. So um, also worth noting is that this is our third and final doubleheader weekend of the season. I think they're using a, another cute little slogan for that, too. Aren't they H-Town doubles down or something like yes. that? Yes. Yes. That's uh, on the television commercials that they've got, uh, which they actually uh, uh, have, have got some street racing that they've, they've picked for the commercials. So they knew their audience and knew they understood their event. And, uh, yeah, that's the slogan they've been using. And it's on the billboards, too, is uh, H-Town doubles down. Uh, the print ads obviously are, are featuring Elio Castroneves's car with the shell and pencil colors. Uh, so it's been good to see uh, uh, a lot of people. Uh, I've run into people talking about it through town here. So I think it's got a good chance to, to have a good turnout. Sounds good. So um, just because it's a new track, let's give you some statistics here. We've got a 10-turn course with that is 1.683 miles in length. And, of course, with the doubleheader, we've got two races that are going to be 153 miles, 90 laps each. Um, presuming we stay with the same plan that was in place for Toronto, we're looking at uh, race one being a standing start. Let's hope it goes better than last time. Uh, and race two will be a rolling start. And, um, yeah, should be very fun, very interesting, looking very much uh, forward to getting down there and uh, covering that race. It'll be John and I both on, on the ground there in Houston um, bringing you as much coverage as we possibly can from all corners of the track. And, of course, our coverage this weekend um, – just a, another chance to get our charity plug in here is uh, it is to raise funds for the Dyslexia Institute of Indiana, uh, which is the second in our in our three charity series um, to, that's uh, been set up by our sponsor. We go down, we get you coverage, and in return, we ask that if you enjoy it, you please send a donation to the Dyslexia Institute of Indiana. You will find them at diin.org, and um, there's a donate button on their page. You'll also see banners on our pages with our coverage uh, that you can click on to get you there as well. Your support would be greatly appreciated. And... Um, we also have finished up our auctions that uh, of the items that Justin Wilson very generously donated to us and raised uh, well over $300 for the Sexy Institute of Indiana through those. So that was very exciting um, to add to our pool as well. And um, so, yeah, looking forward to getting down there and, and keeping that going throughout the weekend. So um, just looking back at some of the statistics, if we – we have some some um, names on the past winners list, but that was from the downtown course, so it doesn't really apply here. Um, you can see Dario Franchitti and uh, Jimmy Vassar in among the the winners' names on that one, but but uh, it's not not really the same thing. If you're looking at the the uh, the 2006-2007 Champ Car run, that was more or less the same course. Um, John mentioned that Sebastian Bourdais won both of those events, but if you look a little further down on the list, you'll see that um, the 2007 pole in the current track record is held by none other than uh, Mr. Will Power. So do we think that that gives these two that that experience and that success here an advantage over the competition uh, going into this weekend? Paul, why don't we let you talk a little bit? Huh, thanks. <laughs> Uh, you know, they've driven a lot of miles since 2007, so I don't know that having driven on the track for, you know, probably four hours over, you know, the course of three days, what is that, six years ago now, I don't know that it really is a huge advantage this far removed from that. I think if, if Justin Wilson, Sebastian Bourdais, and Will Power, if they go out there and they run really well, it's because they're awesome drivers, not because they ran here six years ago uh, in totally different cars. I, I, I just don't see that having much of an effect, to be quite honest. Fair enough, John. Well, I think one of the, the main things to watch uh, here, and uh, for those that are curious, the, the drivers that have driven this in Champ Car were Sebastian Bourdais, Graham Rahal, Justin Wilson, Will Power, uh, Oriel Servia and uh, Simon Pagano, who've all been out here. Uh, back in 2007, Bruno Junquera called this the roughest racetrack that he had ever ran uh, because it is, it's it's the parking lot 
for Reliance Stadium where the Texans play. So it's it's a concrete parking lot. And it was that rough in 2007. And they have not done anything to resurface the track. Hmm. So it's it's going to be rough, and it's going to be really interesting to see how the engineers get a grip on this thing uh, with damper packages and stuff like that. Because, I mean, these cars are going to be bouncing up and down. So I, I think you could see some real separation uh, in race one. I think the field will probably tighten up for race two. But uh, race don't be surprised if somebody runs off and hides in race one. Okay, well, let's go from there. John, who do you think – Who we, will we see the uh, the Sonax Perfect Finish Award claimed again this, this doubleheader weekend, or do you think we'll see two different winners, and who do you think it's going to be? I, I would lay money probably on seeing different winners just, just because of the rough nature of the track. I think we're going to have a, a good possibility of some uh, first-turn carnage, uh, you know, people wheel-hopping. And, and catching the barriers. Um, you, you never know with, with Dragon Racing, there, but Sebastian Bourdais has had a lot of success around this track. I, I would tend to think he might run well. Can he, can he run well enough to win? Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Will Power is always going to be tough. But uh, honestly, I think in race one, I, I think Simon Pagano is, is going to be the guy that's going to come in. He just seems to have such a good grip on the street course setup. He's got a little bit of experience here before on this layout, and he's just so good on street courses to begin with. So if anybody was going to sweep this weekend, I, I think it would be Simon. Hmm. Paul? Well, I'm, I'm going to stick with the hot hands. I'm, I'd say Scott Dixon's going to be very tough again this weekend. He, he also seems to have the street courses figured out. He obviously uh, ran very well at Toronto. Um, has run really, really strong since Pocono uh, pretty much every race weekend since then, even when he was taken out at both uh, Sonoma and uh, and Baltimore. So I would definitely say he'll be uh, a factor for one of the races. Um, for the second race, uh, <sighs> you know, it, it, it sounds boring to take an, another favorite after I took Dixon, but, you know, I... I don't want to bet against Will Power. I, I, I think that now that he's got his monkey off his back from uh, from a few races ago, I think he's going to be back, and he's going to be no holds barred now that he really has no shot at the championship. Uh, he's just going to go out, be aggressive, and and uh, try to get the points away from the from the target guys. Really, I like Simon a lot. Uh, as a pick, um, if you're right, Paul and Scott has a lot of success this weekend. Uh, Elio Castro Neves might find himself in big trouble. We saw um, at the doubleheader, doubleheader at Toronto that when you get one guy who's got the weekend pretty well tied up, that's 100 points on the table right there. And um, I think it's uh, just about 50 that Dixon is behind Castro Neves right now. So this championship is not buttoned up yet. Um, I wouldn't be surprised either to see Dixie come out with uh, with the other one of these races um, and uh, close that gap up a bit and give us a, a nice, exciting finish uh, for, for Fontana in a couple weeks. So... Uh, let's just let, remind you, because we haven't had one of these in a while, we've got our Grand Prix of Houston event summary up, and uh, it's populated with uh, some pretty good info, um, very useful info, uh, particularly with the schedule, because it's pretty complicated this weekend. Um, I think this is the first doubleheader in the year where they haven't had the same start time on the two different days, so uh, that kind of mixes everything up in terms of what falls where. So we've got that all sorted out for you. We've got the weather forecast, we've got the pre-race point standings, all those statistics that we were talking about earlier. Um, all that stuff is right there in one place, so please do check it out. Um, I actually forgot to put that at morefrontwing.com slash event summary. Gosh, I got rusty. Mm. Um, so I'm going to run and do that to make sure it's done before this podcast goes live <laughs> so that you can go to morefrontwing.com slash event summary and find that. Um, from any computer or device at any time you might need it. We always strive to update it as soon as we possibly can. And um, so, Paul, that means that you're on duty on Saturday night to make sure that we can get the points updated before we get into race two. <laughs> uh oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we gotta we got to do the best we can for our listeners and our readers at home, as we always do. So, 
Uh, with that, I think we've covered everything, and uh, we're ready to call it a night. Unless you and either of you has anything to add that I've that I've missed that's glaring. I think we've pretty no? much covered it. Yeah. Okay. Great. So um, some group of us or another, we don't know exactly who yet. It won't be me because I'm unfortunately on a different assignment next week and I won't be available. But I think um, Paul and John and, and maybe a guest or two uh, will be available next week to wrap up the Grand Prix of Houston and begin to look ahead to the season finale at um, Auto Club Speedway in Fontana. And so with that, we'll call it a night. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you need IndyCar news and views, Get a grip with more front wing.